Hello, and welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. I am your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your other host, Soli Hommel. And we're going to take you through 31 scary movies through the month of October, like we do every year. But for the first time this year, we're going to do it entirely in audio format. We like to mix it up every year. One thing you need to be aware of is that we will be employing a truly ghoulish number of spoilers throughout all of these reviews. So if you haven't seen the movie we're reviewing, maybe don't listen to our podcast until you do. We highly recommend you check them out and watch along with us. It's going to be fun for everybody. I mean, how could it not be? So if you're ready and you've watched the movie, please step inside our lair and let's begin. Targets is a 1968 R-rated movie which we paid good American money to watch on Amazon. It's not one of the free Amazon Prime ones. It costs $2.99. And it is 90 minutes long. It got a 7.4 on IMDb. There are no Metacritic reviews for some reason, though it has an 88% on by, from the Rotten Tomato critics and an 81% from the Rotten Tomato audience. For once connection between the audience and the critics yeah and i'm looking back at our previous um rotten tomato audience scores and the only other film that scored higher than that is the thing rotten tomatoes likes its old movies yeah that seems to be the case interesting because actually the only other remotely high one is the stepfather which is which is a 65 yeah huh. fascinating well, i feel like we just learned something yeah rotten tomatoes is weird <laughs> yes it is targets is the story of a young man who is apparently insane although he acts very calm and rational and reasonable who decides one day to kill his family and then go out with a sniper rifle and shoot people at random lots of people lots and lots of people actually and at the same time it's also the story of a very old horror movie star who wants to retire and he is doing one last appearance, which of course intersects with the sniper situation. I would just like to point out that that character's name is Byron Orlock, and he is at the end of a lengthy career in doing campy horror show horror movies. And he is played by Boris Karloff at, at the, the end. end of his lengthy career of doing campy horror movies. Yes, indeed. And, like, the parallels there were so strong. And you could almost see in the way that Karloff was playing the character that he wasn't really playing a character. Like, yeah. it was just him. Yeah, I think it was very much about him, for sure. Yeah, which then makes me wonder, because a part of that storyline is that some young and up-and-coming screenwriter writes him a script that's supposed to be, like, the real him and not all campy and horror. Yeah, which was the plot of the, this movie. Right, yeah. and so it makes me wonder if this movie was really a script written by some up-and-coming young young screenwriter writing specifically for Boris Karloff to show the real him instead of the oh. melodramatic, campy actor him. I know something about that, which is it's not that. In fact, Roger Corman, for whatever reason, I'm, there's, uh, there's all kinds of contracts and finances behind this, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. He talked to Peter Bogdanovich, who directed this movie. And this was his first movie. He said, sure, I'd love for you to make a movie as long as 
A, you include stock footage from this Boris Karloff movie called The Terror, which is a movie he produced and released earlier, Roger Corman did. And B, you employ Boris Karloff for two days. And he was like, interesting, I can do that. And so I don't know if there was a script from some young up-and-coming star. Oh, wait! Also, the other stipulation was this movie is going to be based on the recent sniper attacks. Like, it's, we want to capitalize on that, and we're going to get it done real fast. So that was the idea. And so he said, sure. And in the end, though, Boris Karloff worked for five days, and he did the extra days for cheap because he was so happy to work on this particular film. Possibly because he was so (laughs) tired of being typecast as a campy horror person. Because that's what was in in the movie. I think he liked the idea of being a real human being that's interesting you were telling me too that Karloff was super sick at that time right yeah he had emphysema (laughs) and he couldn't walk without braces very much he did some in the movie and um did you say he only had one lung oh not even it said like a half of a lung or something he was really running out of lungs at this point yeah he died at he didn't die for another couple of years I think but I'm I think this might have been his last movie. Interesting. So this movie was selected for our viewing pleasure by my wife, Solange, who's now going to explain to us her insane reasoning. So I have been starting to question my ability to pick horror movies. And this always happens at about this point in the month because we've seen so many movies that disappointed me. Which I think is normal. Right. I I think it is too. But I get to this point where I'm like, oh, every movie I pick is terrible and every movie you pick is great. And I just start saying like, no, you pick, you pick. I'm sure it's not. It's all like confirmation bias. But lately I've been saying, oh, I don't care, you pick. Well, this time I had you read through the list of suggested movies that we have. Yeah, we've got, um, (laughs) we have so many different lists, but this one is our list of ones that people have suggested to us and that I like looked up, you know, what's the best horror movies on Netflix, stuff like that. So I had you go through and like, tell me a little bit about each of them. And this was the one that intrigued me largely because I liked the idea of something from the 60s. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it interesting what horror was during certain eras, like what it is that they were afraid of, and also just how much it's changed from then to now. So that was intriguing to me. I haven't seen a lot of Boris Karloff's work because I don't... I don't tend to watch a lot of old black and white movies. I was going to say I don't know why, but I do know why. They're boring because they told boring (laughs) stories back then. (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) I like a more sophisticated story. But those were primarily the reasons that I picked this one. And it just, it sounded interesting too, that it was like based on things that had actually happened in Texas at that time. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a a shooting in Texas specifically. Yeah. So that was my reason for picking it. And um, if we go into our first shot, first line. Okay. The first shot is a crow flying toward the camera, screeching with kind of a blue filter. And it was hard for me to tell what was effect and what was just that this movie was filmed in the late 60s. Yeah. I think I was going to write down that it was kind of a grainy effect, but I (laughs) kind of think that was just Mm -hmm. what it looked like. Well, but that was also footage from the old movie. 
Yes. So it was so. it was a scene from the movie that they were required to include <laughs> clips <Yes>. of. <laughs> and the first line comes shortly after that, where one of the characters in that movie that's in the movie yells, Baron! Because he's looking for the Boris Karloff character whose name was Baron. Who, of course, is a Baron. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, not name. He was a Baron. <laughs> well, yeah. It's his, both his name and his job. So that's how that movie starts. Yeah, which I have some trouble with on the one hand i get it this this is our second movie of the month which is about the difference between old horror and new horror although the other movie was just one segment in a movie oh yeah 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 very much so although it's funny because that one was this one is comparing horror from like the 40s to the 60s that one was comparing the 80s to the 2000s (laughs) so yeah it's very different eras nonetheless though it's i don't know that the inclusion of significant chunks of that old movie were like, why are we watching this? I don't care what happens to this Baron. Well, and the fact that, that they were required to include that in order to get their funding makes me think that that was just, like, he was, it was product placement. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was hoping that if they put enough of the movie in at the, you know, enough of the beginning and enough of the end or whatever, that then people would finish watching Targets and be like, you know, I want to <laughs> see that other film. What you, what was going on there? Too bad they gave away the ending of it in the very <laughs> first minute of this movie. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, another interesting thing from the beginning of the movie that stood out to me was that all of the credits were at the beginning. Yeah. Everything. Like, oh, all this stuff right, you yeah. normally, like, don't even see because it's at the very, 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 very end. And they have to <laughs> yeah, put a funny gaffer. part at the end of the movie in order to get you to stay through it. <laughs> all of that stuff used to be at the very beginning. Yeah, I guess and, so. Yeah, so that was interesting to me to see. And it made me so glad that they don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. We did really have to annoying. sit through that. Although the other thing is there was a it was a lot less than what you get in a movie today. Today it's like five minutes of scrolling text in yeah. tiny print. Yeah. And this was probably, I don't know, fifty, sixty lines of text total that they But went it was through. all over the first scenes of the movie. Yeah. Luckily it was the movie I didn't care about, not the <laughs> exactly. actual movie. I wonder if they had discussions about that. They're like, <laughs> We're putting it in and they're like, It's behind the credits. <laughs> yeah. Little argument. So, fun thing here is that the shooter in this movie is played by Matt Damon, which you wouldn't expect (laughs) since he should have been very, very young at this point. Wait, who else did we say? It was Matt Damon or it was, oh, Dexter's dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It also looked very much like uh, Michael C. Hall, I think is his name, the guy who plays Dexter. And so we decided this was a prequel in which this is Dexter's dad. Who, which is why Dexter yeah. turned out the way he did, because his dad was bonkers. Yeah, except the show Dexter explained why he turned out the way he did, and it was not his dad. But his dad was a bad person, though. Man. <laughs> okay, let's stay focused. We don't want to discuss Dexter, <laughs> no. because I'm really we can, we can offended do that later. by his dad. If, if, if people like our podcast, then we can <laughs> we can do that some other time in the, the month. Dexter in the Dexter episode. Yeah, so he, he had a very familiar look. He also just was a very 60s, like, he was supposed to be, like, a very stereotypical stand-up kind of 60s looking person. You know, he had good haircut, he had a job in an insurance company, he wore nice clothes, he drove a nice car. His pants were too short. Well, I think that was a thing. (laughs) He did drive a nice car, though. It was a convertible Mustang. 
Did you like it? Not as much as a Dodge Charger, but it was pretty. (laughs) Yeah. So he was also part of a very stereotypical family. You know, dad was kind of rough and tough and... Wanted to take him hunting. Yep. Insisted he be called Sir. Mm -hmm. His mom was very attentive to him and to her husband and all of that. And then he had his very pretty peroxide blonde (laughs) wife. Who lived with him in his parents' house. Yes. I guess And worked a night job a at the phone company. Yeah. Where it was exhausting because people kept calling long distance. <laughs> yeah, that's always a problem. The 60s, man. Um, so it was all supposed to look very, like, June and Ward Cleaver, right? Like, yeah, everything, it did. everything is beautiful. I hate to keep bringing up cool stuff I learned on IMDb, but here's a cool thing I learned on IMDb. Okay. I'm not artsy enough to notice this, but IMDb told me this. Mm. The house they lived in was a set. There were no doorknobs on the doors. I did not notice that, but that's Mm. a thing. And it was very close and tight, and the colors were very pastel and simple and washed out. It was all supposed to give it that, you know, closed in, kind of happy, not happy, but like like you were saying, June and Ward Cleaver, you know. Like, like TV, very Americana. Yeah. yeah. I actually made a note. It turns out I am artsy enough to notice oh, that. Dang it. Because I did make a note. I said, the house looks like the set of a high school play. Yeah. Is it poor set design or is that how houses looked in the 60s? Neither. And it, yeah, it makes sense that it was an intentional, like, reflection of the ideal life which was shown on television at that time yeah now so this ideal kid who lived in this family and decided to kill everybody he obviously had issues yes and in fact we've heard he's a vietnam war vet though we didn't see that in the movie i don't know no it the only place i saw that was in the review not the review in the description on Mm -hmm. um amazon yeah and and that was at the end after we'd watched the whole thing i saw (laughs) that it said vietnam vet and i was like Wait, what? Who said that? Where is that? Yeah, maybe there was like stuff on the wall because he had that wall. He had a room completely filled with guns and deer heads and stuff that was pretty creepy. And he'd like go around admiring each of his guns. So he was a scary guy. It's very possible that it there were clues in there that I just missed because people have that sort of stuff around more often these <laughs> days. I mean, maybe maybe having that room with those particular decorations meant something in the late 60s that it doesn't necessarily mean now. Could be. But where I was going with that is that we never really got any idea of how he ended up in this place. I mean, if you say he's a Vietnam vet, I can get it. There's a PTSD situation. He's Mm -hmm. going off the deep end. That's possible. But he didn't act like that. He never felt like he was having a breakdown. He was all very dextery. He was very Mm -hmm. calm, happy. He was perfectly able to throw on a happy face and act normal. And there's one time where he tried to talk to his wife about how he was feeling. And he's like, so things aren't so great. So can we talk? And she's like, eh, whatever. And that was it. Yeah. He didn't try very hard. Mm-mm. And he it was like late at night. She had just come home from work. Yeah. And he was being a little creepy with his he was. very extremely bright cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Let's discuss that. Okay. It's not the only one. No, there were several times when a small source of light, like the end of a, the lit end of a cigarette or a, a match. match head, were were illustrated by like. Sp- 
spotlighting <laughs> in in a specific spotlight. yeah like just in that one spot but it was like a, a stream of light <laughs> and you could tell by the way it faded when the match went out and that you know yeah. when they when he stopped inhaling on the cigarette <laughs> the, the light would go away that 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 they were doing it intentionally yeah. and yet it was so so terrible <laughs> i know it was way too bright for what it was doing way too bright i don't know that cigarette scene though where like basically it's they're in their bedroom all the lights are out he's smoking a cigarette and they're having this conversation and that had sort of like i want to say heart of darkness for some reason and i don't oh. know exactly what it is but it had a sort I of get it very yeah. like isn't there a scene in in heart of darkness like with with the ceiling fan yeah, and he's like laying there and there's like a, it's all like in like i could have this completely wrong because i don't think i've ever seen that movie but oh that's actually a book the movie's apocalypse now oh yeah that's what i'm thinking um, i think it's like a bamboo hut or something so there's light streaming in and then there's a ceiling and you're looking fan, down through the ceiling fan that's yeah it's that's all rotating dark and shadows and yeah I know what you it mean. was it was that sort of thing which is one of the things I noticed at the same time that I was seeing how terrible that particular, like the cigarettes and the matches were, they knew how to use lighting for dramatic effect. Yeah. When they were making black and white films, like <laughs> they're, they're, I think because there, there are so many restrictions when you're just using black and white film that you have to get very creative. And there are so many very dramatic things you can do with it that I really enjoy that element yeah that was interesting i think that that is also one of the things i don't like about black and white horror films though because if you don't know how to do the lighting properly and if you don't you know if you don't set the scene up exactly right it becomes almost impossible to tell what's going on when it's supposed to be dark and scary and gloomy and it's like just a bunch yeah. of shades of dark gray like <laughs> moving around the screen and you don't it's really like know a found footage movie exactly <laughs> and i don't like that I do like those. But here's an interesting twist. This is something I read on my brain. Okay. It's an artsy thing. Artsy. Both of our characters, the sniper and the actor, they both had big things they were doing. He was running around killing people and he was quitting his career as an actor. Right. And as somebody was pointing out to him, you don't quit acting. You just keep doing it. You make more and more money until you die. What are you doing? Because he was at the height of his career. He was doing just fine. And he was like, I got enough money. I'm out of here, which I I get it. (laughs) Yeah. But both of them offered little to no explanation or reason for their decisions, which I don't know if it's an oversight or if it's intentional if this is um i don't know what it would mean but you know we don't get to see into their psyches no we don't i sort of feel like that's part of the storytelling of the time like i'm thinking about some of the other older films that i've seen particularly like suspense or or thriller sorts of things and i feel like they didn't spend as much time trying to explain to people what their characters were thinking and I wonder if that's because it wasn't considered as important. It was like, here are the things that are happening, and that's the important thing to the story. Whereas now, we're all about, but why did those things happen? Yeah, but I mean, like, if you think about writing, it's always been about, you know, like books and stuff, it's always been about what the characters are thinking. Has it always? Well, it's changed a lot. Things have changed. But, I mean, I think of, like, really old stories, not really, really old, but, like, from the 1900s, weren't they about 
I mean, I, I, I'm assuming because I think they were boring. So that makes me think they were about people's thoughts instead of about exciting action. But Which is funny because <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, that they were boring, which makes me think that they weren't telling me enough about what people were thinking and feeling. Well, that's interesting. It's boring either I think, way. I think that, sadly, we have come to rely on storytellers to tell us what to think mm. and, and how to interpret things much more now than we used to. And they used to like give you, here's what's happening. And you had to think about why that would happen. And you had to add your own huh. ideas of, or, or your own understanding of societal norms and expectations. Well, that's a bad idea. That doesn't hold steady. Well, no, which is why I think a lot of stories from the past don't hold up well now. Yeah. At least in my opinion, yes, I know there are lots of people who <laughs> love all those old books and whatever. I really struggle with them. And a lot of the things that are taught in our schools as classics and all high schoolers should read these books are mind boggling to me because they are the kind of thing that make high schoolers hate reading. Yeah. When there are so sure. many good books that would make high schoolers love reading. Yeah. I They would, they would assign me all kinds of horrible books and... Even a couple times I did the Cliff's Notes instead of the real book. I think one time I just didn't read and I just guessed at what, you know, they're like, oh, what is, what does the whale represent? I'm like, wow, fish, monsters? I don't know. I did, oh. tried it out. So while at the same time I was avoiding all that garbage that I didn't want to read, I was reading books for fun in my spare time. I was reading Stephen King all over the place. <laughs> right. Which was all about how the characters were thinking and feeling. Uh-huh. Which I'm sure would have appalled your English teachers to no end. I did a speech on why Stephen King should be included in the canon of English of American literature. Wow. Did you convince your teacher? Uh, probably not. I'm sure she didn't care. <laughs> um, I remember in high school, I really liked, I loved reading and I wasn't overly picky about what I read, you know, when I was younger. I mean, I would read cereal boxes if that's the words that were in front of me in the yeah. morning. But I particularly, one of the, 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 the books that stand out to me that were assigned that made me go, oh, there are really good books that mm-hmm. are out there from the past. Like not current, you know, new yeah. novels from the time when I was in high school. Jack London, mm-hmm. Call of the Wild and White Fang. We read them at the same time. I even I had a double book that had both of the stories <laughs> yeah. in it. And I really very distinctly remember reading them and, and being so fascinated by them. And when I think about it, those are both stories that tell how the main characters are thinking and feeling. Because they're stuck alone out in the woods. And... Even though the main characters are like a wolf and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I think I only read a story, uh, How to Light a Fire, I think it oh, is. Oh, yes. And I liked it. Oh, it's a true tragedy right there. Yeah. I, I, I very distinctly remember that one. Because that's suspense. That's interesting writing. Yeah. It's not just about how people are thinking and feeling, is it? No. <laughs> oh, we had to read Great Expectations, which I think I would have enjoyed very much if I could have just read it. And having to answer comprehension questions about it, you know, a dozen questions for every it's chapter torture. about what this means and that means and... What, uh, that would be a great horror movie, forcing kids to write, answer questions at the ends of chapters. <laughs> They'd be like chained up and forced to do it. Yeah, terrifying. Too, too scary. Too scary. 
Back to the movie. Yes. I thought I'd mention a couple of things quickly. One is that, oh, well, one really quick thing is the, the Ghostbusters showed up at the end of the movie, and that was cool. They drove up in the Ecto-1. That was the fire department, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, it was the Ghostbusters. They come from a fire station. Oh. But they're the Ghostbusters. Oh, right. Okay. My bad. Yeah, because the... Because actually, at the end of the movie, the the climax of the movie, we already said there were going to be spoilers, is that he walks up and slaps the crap out of this kid. And literally slaps him. Like, Just it's not even a fist him. punch. No. He actually slaps him. He slaps him into submission. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun <laughs> is an old guy slapping the garbage out of that bad guy. That's what I've always said, yeah. It was crazy. And then the bad guy just, like, cowers in the corner. Well, because like, he was being beaten by an old man. It was it was something else. I, yeah, I didn't entirely get it. There was one really obvious thing that happened was as he was cowering in the corner, Byron stands over him and goes, was that what I was afraid of all this time? Because a big thing in the movie was, well, it, it was a thing in the movie that they mentioned was that he was scared of what horror is now not the stories of horror but actual horror in the world oh yeah they were talking about the yeah. newspapers there was a, and... an article about a kid who shot up a supermarket and he's mm-hmm. like the world's so scary what, how can my movies be scary and at the end he's like well this kid i was able to slap it <laughs> slap him not down to the ground so why was I so scared all this time? I guess people with guns are cool. <laughs> but I don't really Which get it. Which is just the beginning of the end right there. How yeah. About? Yeah, that was... It was a weird thing, though. It was. It was. There wasn't a lot of story there. Like, I don't feel like I... I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting look into the past. Because as much as the 80s are not a period piece, <laughs> I think the 60s are definitely a period piece. Yeah. I don't know how my parents would feel about that, but... <laughs> But it wasn't a great story. Like, I didn't feel like the two storylines, they intersected, but not in any really meaningful way, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, it was kind of missing, I don't know, layers to that. They just kind of were in the same place. That they, I mean, I guess the climax was between the two of them, and it was supposed to be his issue with modern horror being resolved by slapping this kid. Right. But what resolution does this kid have? He gets to go to jail. I mean, it really makes it seem like all, everything this kid did, his his mental collapse, you know, mm-hmm. all his PTSD stuff, all the people he murdered, like his parent, his mom and his wife. Did his dad ever get shot? I don't think his dad his, came home. No. He was off drinking. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But that all of this stuff was all incidental and only there to serve the purpose of letting the Byron character find his resolution, which is crazy. Yeah, I think I think if you look at it, it's Byron's story, and this guy is just a tool in that story. It's he's not a anyone but that's unto so himself. that is so weird to me because it was at least it was more than fifty percent of the movie. Yeah, watching it was him mostly, go around, mostly the kid were working on his killing spree was most of the movie and making several trips to the gun store <laughs> all the time where he didn't even have to show id because he had a trustworthy face yep <sighs> yeah so before we get to the ratings i do want to say that i adored sammy the screenwriter oh yes and jenny the actor's like secretary girl friday kind of person mm-hmm. um i thought they were both really funny 
I thought they were both very personable. And Sammy was just adorable. <laughs> like, just everything you want to see in, you know, a young, kind of artistic, clever guy from the late 60s. And he had my favorite line. What was that? That was almost a throwaway line. Like, he was saying it as he, like, as the camera panned away from him or he walked <laughs> out of the room or something. So they, they had their, like sleepover where they got super drunk and Byron made him stay over at the hotel room because he was too drunk to drive home, which I thought was pretty cool. And they wake up the next morning and they're talking about, you know, like getting breakfast or whatever. And Sammy says, oh, I couldn't eat on an empty stomach. (laughs) That's right. I remember that. I loved that. Well, and I thought Byron was a lot of fun. I think he, he was, was lively and not what I was expecting Boris Karloff to do. Not that I know much about Boris Karloff. It just was a surprise. But he had my favorite line. The Somebody was calling, wanted to talk to him on the phone. And he was like, no, you know, I don't want to talk to him. And he's like, he knows you're here. And he said, I am here. <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, yeah, because the guy was who had answered was trying to like, oh, oh, he just stepped out for a minute or whatever. Uh-huh. Was trying to, yeah. you know, be diplomatic about it. And yeah, Byron was like, no, I'm here. I just don't want to talk to him. <laughs> and I won't want to talk to him later. Oh, the Byron Orlock character made me me wish that I could hang out with Boris Karloff for a little bit. Yeah. Like, I think he would have been fun to hang out with. Yeah, you know, he did that thing where he, like, told his story and it was very reverential and it zoomed in on him slowly and he told the story. Actually, IMDb story, um, when he did that, he nailed it in one take and the entire crew stood up and applauded. But it was pretty awesome. that kind of thing made him less appealing. That's more what I expected. These holding court look at me, I'm the big famous actor. Whereas for the rest of the movie, he was just a cool guy. While he was telling that story, which was a story I loved, by the way, and I have seen before, and yes, it probably a is... a famous story. Is it? So somebody goes to Samara. Death goes, comes oh, to Samara right, or something. Oh, right, right. Yes, yeah. he was surprised to see him because he yeah. had an appointment. Oh, it might be called an appointment in Samara or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, while he was telling that story, that's what Boris Karloff normally does. Yeah. Like, that's this. That's the role that's always written for him. <laughs> and so it was interesting to see that kind of put in there in the midst of him saying... I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I'm done. And of course, the only time anybody listened to him, they kept telling him like, <laughs> no, you should keep doing this. I don't know why you want to quit. Blah, blah, blah. You don't know what you want. And the only time they stopped talking at him and listened to him was when he <laughs> fell into the role they well, had written for him. That's an artsy observation. I am artsy as all get out. Yep. <laughs> All right, um, you, my friend, get to rate first. Okay, I have not even thought about a number because I've had had a hard time here. It's an old movie, does not have the panache of a modern film whatsoever. The plot did fall down in a way, but I, but I did kind of like that it was doing a thing. Like it wasn't just the story of a mm-hmm. shooter. It it like had a, a a plan. I just think it kind of fell down with the plan a little bit. And I thought the whole idea that the fantastic end was him stomping up to that kid and slapping him was ridiculous because uh, that is a great moment for him, but the kid had a gun. He would have just been dead. Although there was the, the cool thing was when 
he's stomping at the kid and on screen he's stomping from the other direction and it even freaked the kid out and he started shooting at the screen and at the guy and he was like i don't know what's going on here that was fun but still it wasn't well done it was just it was a an attempt at something really clever rather than a success at something really clever so i will give this movie a score of 2.5 boxes of ammo out of five. Wow. And I want to throw in one more thing that when he was doing his shooting rampage, it was effectively done like, I don't know, they there was no music in almost any of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it was very noticeable. Like it was very grim and mm-hmm. sparse. And the shooting actually was... When he was up shooting from the from the movie screen onto the people in the drive-in, I was thinking about the Las Vegas shooting and how bad mm-hmm. that was, and that's what this felt like—the people mm-hmm. like kind of organizing and trying to find a way to escape while they're being shot at. It was unpleasant. It was dark. It was unpleasant. In fact, I thought about particularly during that scene, and I think also while he was up on the Chevron yeah. tanks. Yeah. And shooting at the at the road, I thought about how it would actually be very simple to modernize this story. Like yes. this story as it is could almost identically be like without changing anything, <laughs> it could become a story from 2018. Yeah. And uh, when I was watching it, one of the things I thought was I'd really like to see a remake of this. Like I think it's not that great, but it's something that could be really good if done with modern techniques. Yeah, I think so too. I think exactly. I don't know about the Byron Orlock storyline like i'm not sure how what the equivalent of that would be from today but i also think that that boris karloff probably would disagree with me but i don't (laughs) feel like that's the most important part of this movie well bruce campbell's getting old (laughs) and he's probably getting a little tired of (laughs) doing schlocky horror movies what or maybe he's really enjoying it because he's still doing uh, no, that I've, Evil Dead show. I've heard he's not going to do it anymore. He's done with Ash. Oh, see? That's terrible. Hmm. But that is perfect. I mean, that is that the is remake perfect. right there. And he is the kind of guy who would walk up to the shooter and just slap him a whole lot. <laughs> like you'd probably punch him, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would really very much like to see a remake of this movie. I think it could be done very poignantly. Yeah. um, And could make all the same points that sadly they were trying to make back in 1968. And nobody picked him up. Only gotten worse from there. So much worse. And that's the one thing that would change is that, like, he starts shooting, and for a long time, nobody really reacts. Yeah. And even when they know there's a shooter, they're like, not sure what to do. And I made a note of how quiet it was after they realized somebody was shooting at them. And it was much later when people were actually panicking and, and like, bumping into each other in their cars and screaming and whatnot. Like, we know now. We know the sound of guns makes everybody drop to the ground or start screaming. Like, it's it's a thing, which is very sad. And I think they'd have a hard time making this movie today. They'd be like, well, that's not appropriate. We can't show that. So anyway, that kind of uh, distracted a little bit from the fact that I need to do a rating. I feel like we had similar reactions to this movie. I am going to give it three boxes of ammunition out of five. Um, I really, I did enjoy it a lot. I really am not sure whether my enjoyment was because 
I liked the movie or whether it was because I liked the kind of peephole into what I consider my grandparents' generation mm-hmm. and my grandparents' lives. Like, m- my grandparents were the shooter's parents, yeah. basically. Like, that's who they were at that time. You know, they were raising their families and whatnot. And so it's always interesting to look back and see what life was like for them. Yeah. I mean, they went to a restaurant and the guy was like, can you bring me a telephone? <laughs> yes, and, I like that. <laughs> and at, there was a moment where I was like, that phone is plugged into the wall. How yeah. long is that cord? <laughs> they got to have a special cord so that they can bring it to whoever wants to it. To whatever table wants a telephone. <laughs> I think that's a pretty fancy restaurant, though, that will do that. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know whether it was like a nostalgic enjoyment or an actual enjoyment. And I have no idea whether this was a quality film of its time. They all kind of blur together for me. They all seem the same amount of quality, and I'm sure that's not true. Yeah. So it was interesting. I enjoyed it. I would watch more old movies. I have a hard time with old movies, Mm. but I didn't, you know, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. That's why I gave it my middle of the road score. Yes, I noticed we gave it the same score with our separate... (laughs) Our separately patented systems. Separately patented scoring systems, yes. All right, well, let's go watch another movie. Okay, let's go. just a fun conversation we just had. That's not going in there.